Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Moonbasians. Hey, folks. Um, DJ Silvis here, creator of Moonbase Theta Out and one of your co-producers. And we are here for the big final end of series Q&A. And I'm not the only one here. We have Cass and Tina. Please say hello and introduce yourselves. Hello and introduce yourself. <laughs> I was Thank so you. tempted, but I was like, I'm, I'm just going to be silent and see if it happens. And it did. The so show's thanks, over. Tina. They can't fire us. It's fine. High five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, high five. All right, neither of you has actually introduced yourselves. Just oh, so come on. I'm Cass. He, him. I play Michelle. I'm done sound designing. I want a nap forever. <laughs> Are you done sound designing? Pretty much. I don't know. I'm not going to do any sound design to this. You can just enjoy this at whatever, whatever happens. That's oh, fair. man. Okay. Uh, my name is Tina. Uh, she, her pronouns. I... They brought me on to do all the things they didn't want to do and <laughs> said I was the producer. And then I voice acted everybody's favorite, I don't even know what you would call her, Wilder. And um, I would say I get to take a break, but I don't get to take a break because I am doing more things because I don't know how to take a break. <laughs> that is fair. Yeah, so we have a lovely list of questions that people have sent in to us. Um, we have, I think, five or six different people who sent in a mess of questions for us. <laughs> and we're just going to go through them one by one. I sort of tried to organize them a little bit, but we're probably going to jump back and forth a lot, too. There are a bunch of writing things that'll go directly to me. There are a bunch of other things that I'm throwing to other people just because I want to hear what they'll say. <laughs> and some that were specifically for Tina and Cass as well. So, yeah, um, let's just go th start from the top of the list. Uh, Cass or Tina... Um, whichever one of you wants to um, ask the questions to me that are specifically for me, and then I'll respond. And we'll sort of move from there. You might as well say um, who the people are that asked them as well, even though it's going to be repeating the same names a lot. <laughs> um, I can take the first one if you want. Yeah, we can pass it back and forth pretty much. All right. So our first question is from Peter XYZ, and this is you're going to have to forgive me. I have Invisalign. I sound like I'm in high school again. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> this is for Deej. How did you decide on the moon as opposed to an O'Neill cylinder or a more modest space station? Or even an island or a cruise ship? I think of Agatha Christie's whenever a group of people are placed in a confined place. <laughs> <laughs> Which made it definitely. I, I enjoyed that. But um as far as answering that, and I had to look up an O'Neill cylinder, even though I knew what it was when I saw the pictures. It's just a type of space station um, construction. Yeah. But but how did I decide on the moon is probably be just from when I was a kid. 
When I was a kid, I lo- I read a lot of like I mean I was a, a kid in the seventies, so I read a lot of sci-fi from the fifties and sixties because that's what was available. And there was stuff like the, the people who they th- you think of as the big names now who like really aren't that great anymore. Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, things like that. A lot of their stuff was set on the moon. I uh, stole a lot of plot elements from Heinlein's book, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and a lot of sort of like some of the sort of like moon city type stuff from some of Asimov's things. And it was just sort of, it seemed like a good way to, because space stations always feel kind of flimsy to me and kind of temporary. I wanted it to feel like this was an attempt to sort of like a make, make a next step where there had like, there had been this attempt to like start into, into serious space exploration. And then it got taken over by um, extreme commercialism, like everything else in the world of our show. And eventually the kid was not profitable enough and got shut down. So yeah, just sort of the moon just seemed like a more permanent place for that. I tend to think of, and it's sort of just sort of, I did do a lot of research as well. And space stations feel at least right now, pretty temporary as far as places that you can live for very long. They have to swap like crews in and out of the um, ISS and places like that pretty regularly. Whereas on the moon, there's at least a nominal amount of gravity you can set up more permanent installations, and so it just seemed like more of a permanent place to stay there. Plus, I mean, I like the moon. There's more poetry in the moon than a space station, at least right now. I mean, people need to write more poems about space stations, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been thinking in, about the moon uh, in various ways for as long as we have been able to literally look up in the sky and think about, what's that thing? So, you know, I can I can see there being like, <laughs> you know, it's like the, we've got a little, lot more skin in the game with the moon. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> Y'all got that. You <laughs> just just <laughs> left left an, <laughs> left a moment there, you know, just to like po- <laughs> contemplate the moon, you know, like you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I can give you the next question then. Uh, so this is another one from Peter XY. Zed. <laughs> I don't actually. So sorry, Peter. If if you would prefer X Y Z, X Y Z is what comes to to my to my mouth. Uh, being a Canadian, I'm sorry. Um, so, how much science and engineering research did you do for the story that isn't in the series? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. I, I mean, it's stuff that I like to read anyway. And so there's a bunch of um, things that I would like do nominal research to in the middle of writing a script. And I'll talk a little bit in the next question about like how I do my research. But there was a bunch of stuff that I would start researching for a script and then just sort of like keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. Because in part, it's interesting. And in part, it means that I don't have to write yet. Because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh, no, really, I'm doing research, I swear. And not just science and engineering, there was a lot of linguistics to research, history, poetry, psychology, etc., 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 etc. Medical stuff for um, Medic Pacey and some of the other stuff in Keegan. So, yeah, I was never done doing research, and it's always a wonderful distraction from actually trying to put words on paper. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Okay, I'll do this one, and this is from... Peter XYZ. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna stick with the XYZ. Go for it. Um, again, Deej, how much background world building did you do that's not in the series? 
And despite what I just said about um, research in general, world building, not a whole lot, actually. I tend to not... Um, this was the first time I had written an ongoing series and the first time that I'd written anything this extensive. Like, I'd mostly, mostly written plays before this, particularly a lot of one-act plays. And so I wound up making a lot of decisions in the middle of writing in this. So my world building would only extend to the curtains. There's there's really nothing behind the scenes at all. But no, I made decisions, but I made decisions as I needed them and then just sort of like cut the next piece of the cloth to fit. So there's not a ton of background world building. In fact, a lot of the things that people ask me I've asked me in like previous Q and A's and even some of the stuff in this one, I had to figure out an answer at this point because I hadn't decided on it during the show. I love that. Uh, I, mm, oh, go ahead. I, I'll wait. I <laughs> see. I'm, that's a little bit more like, I understand when people are like, you know, I've set up the entire world. I've under, I figured out how absolutely everything works and I've got models for the economy and for social, all the things. And, and then I will place my story within it and I will, it's a 300 word short story. And, and then there's, <laughs> then there's this where it's like, I'm just like reaching into the cupboards, looking for things as, as they're happening, which I, you know, I, I like that. I don't know. It, it, it works, works better for my brain, I think. I, um, and I'm so glad that it wasn't me this go round because like, you, you know how Becca is like all the questions and all the everything. That is me like with everything. I want to know all the things <laughs> and I am the one who's asking literally like all like there was a, an, another podcast that I listened to and funnily enough, like I, I play an RPG with him and his wife now, but I like literally I was like, what's this and what's this and what's the story? What's the story? And I'm like, theories <laughs> based on this and you can just tell it's like, well, that literally doesn't exist yet. But yeah, yeah. sure. You're totally. And it's just, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, I hadn't thought until like relatively recently, like honestly, like that, um, starting with that and then moving more into the creative space that that's just, people don't know. Like it, yeah. some people will do it, but it's just like, okay, oh my God, well, what is this? And what do they do? And, um, it's like, I, I literally didn't write it. So I don't know what they did because <laughs> it's not a thing that exists on paper or in my head. And I'm just like, but, you just broke my brain because how do you not know? Because I need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very, I'm getting better. And I, <laughs> I, I don't think that I would be getting better if I didn't like in this space, but I still always, I get twitchy because I want to ask. And like, I know that nobody knows or that they don't necessarily, but I'm like, I want to ask because I want to. But know. I, but I do think that a lot of it that got deeper as we got into the show too. Like, not necessarily, I still don't think that I did a lot of world building that didn't, like, wind up on the page, because I still made decisions as we needed them. But, like, you guys know how much longer my descriptions got of things when I was when I sat down with you before Season 3 and before Season 4 and said, mm. okay, this is what I got to tell you that you're going to need to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there is that, too. And I think some of it, too to be fair, comes out of me not having done this before because I've definitely done a ton more world building for the new show than I even considered for Moonbase. So. Mm. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later probably, <laughs> but until then, I'll, I'll give you another question. This one is from Becca. You're going to get a few questions from Becca tonight. Um, Oddly enough. Weird. Uh, so are there any stories or subplots that you didn't get to share or that didn't end up making the final cut for this final season, not including bonuses that are still to come. I think all the bonuses are now out. Um, yeah, I was going to say we're recording this on the day of release of the final bonus. So, yep. but yeah, um, 
There's some stuff. I mean, there are a couple of actual scripts. The script we did for the live show, um, the list was never actually recorded. So, I mean, it was it was it was recorded in the live show, but we never recorded it for the feed. So there's that. There was um, supposed to be um, another like live show script. Actually, I still I have like a brief outline for what the live show script was going to be before that, when it was going to be focused on Wilder instead of Michelle. Where, where it was going to be a whole monologue where Wilder was stuck outside the airlock and not able to get back in. But as far as things that actually like were planned or at least possibly planned for the final season didn't make it in, there's just a few things. I did hope to get more into base alpha, but there just wasn't going to be time in the plot. Like We had the um, plot point later in the second half of the season where they're trying to get to base alpha. And I think originally I had planned that they would get there and maybe we would have some more discoveries about the megas there, but there just wasn't time. It just wasn't important enough compared to the other stuff going on. Um, more like behind the mega stuff in general. I think eventually originally I was going to go more into like the people that Monica reports to and how that happened, how they pulled her back in. And there just, again, wasn't time and it wasn't that important. And it was kind of fun just to have the reveal, too, mm. with no information for the audience at all. That just, hey, Monica's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to do more Elena stuff, too, but just sort of get, didn't get around to it. Um, just sort of how... And I tried to show it a little bit in, like, the appearances that we had, but my original idea was that Elena was really kind of messed up emotionally about um, Nessa dying and was just taking that out on, like, throwing herself into this other pro- this new project and doing really reckless stuff. And there's a little bit of back and forth between Elena and Nima where we, like, deal with get delve into that a little bit, but I was hoping to do more. Um, I would have loved to do more Addy stuff and delve deeper into Addy's background. And maybe if we'd had more time to do Monica, we would have gotten into that. Um, I wanted to actually show the tardigrade races. <laughs> oh, thank you. We for talked, that. About, we, we, we talked about the tardigrade races and I wanted to actually do a scene with that. But again, there just wasn't time. How do you sound design a tardigrade race? Fun fact. I will never find out because I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay okay but you have the tardigrade sounds and then just cheering and like everybody like back talking each other and like yeah go 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 see that's the thing it would have been fun but it just really wasn't yeah. necessary and the last thing and i considered this for a minute too and it just would have been too weird in context but i really kind of wanted to do Cass and paul and the rocket too because we have the one <laughs> we have we have the one miniseries episode the like surprise miniseries episode from the first miniseries where we have Cass and paul actually like talking and so i considered doing that again with them on the rocket when they're there coming there um in the epilogue but i just didn't think that that was i thought that was going to like throw off the feel of the entire thing too much like there's it's okay to do it in like a standalone like sort of bonus episode but doing that in the middle of other stuff just sort of felt weird right it would need to be its own separate little episode or something yeah but who knows who knows I'm just, who knows what they talked about on that ride <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to start reading a few of the questions now, too, because we have some stuff that is for everyone, and I'm going to toss to you guys first. So we have um, our first question appearing from our friend AMC, who does Vesta Clinic, say, asking, what is an element of MTO that you're really excited about slash proud of that you never got a chance to talk about? I'm going to let you two answer that first. 
Uh, the funny thing is, I, I, there's not a lot because I just talked about everything. Like, I, I, I don't think there's anything I was like, I can't talk about this. I guess what I'll, I'll, I'll point to because I, I had a lot of fun with it and I really wish I had been able to do more of this kind of stuff. Um, but I just wound up getting overwhelmed and almost burned out on just trying to keep up with the sound design. It was, um, the pocket cast stuff when we started having the, you know, when, um, Barnett Bell switched over, uh, and was, you know, gone rogue and, and releasing a pocket cast. And so we had a whole network of pocket casts and I really enjoyed going in and like, I designed, Mm Uh, uh, logos for all of them and came up with dumb titles for the pocket casts and I um I uh, uh and I also did I created like the that bumper um sound of like this is the Rose of Jericho <laughs> pocket cast so you know my voice is my voice is in this series in a bunch of different fun little ways and I kind of love that 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 I guess that's one thing I'll, I'll talk about is I love that my voice is just in sneaky little places everywhere. I'm that voice. I'm uh, one of the tardigrades from the the special the Chris there from Doctor Just, Just yeah. special. Um, I'm Weeble, of course, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm also like every now and then you need a cough, you need a sigh, you need a, a you know a, or whistling. Yeah. Uh, I'm Addie whistling. Because yeah, something I, an actor forgot to record. Yeah, actor didn't record whistling. Suddenly it's like, all right, well, I guess I know how to whistle. Um, uh, it's me. So, yeah. So, you know, there's a few times where it's like, ah, oh, that's sneakily me in there. And nobody will ever know. But now you'll know. <laughs> Man, I don't know if I have a good answer for this. Because I feel like I, I don't talk about the show a whole lot. But, like, when I do, it's just, like, info dump. Like, it all just kind of comes <laughs> out. But I think it's kind of... It's kind of a toss up. There's the fact that we have so many people like on cast. Like I knew everybody on in the cast was good. But like when I started doing like the Wikipedia pages, because I was like, we're going to do this so we can have the bragging rights and have it on our pages. And I'm like, holy crap, we have so many super just talented people that have done so many things. And I, I think a lot of it is really and this kind of goes hand in hand with that is there's so much of it that we are really proud of that unless you're talking to somebody who works in audio drama or who knows other projects or these things like it's not going to mean anything or it'll be like oh that's cool and you're just like you don't understand what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. I get that you think it's cool but it's not clicking it's like if someone tried to talk to me about molecular biology I'm not going to fully grasp it like I can get to a point why they're excited about it but it's not going to make the same sense as it would to somebody else working in their field. So like when I'm talking to like one of my theater friends or like there's somebody that came up to us at this festival that we did that we got on the, it was like a parent nudging a kid. Our our director was like, and what else do you do? I was like, I serve coffee. And he goes, (laughs) I was like, I voice act. Right. And so I'm like telling this complete stranger about the show. Yeah. And it's just, it's completely different because like, you don't talk about some of the things that you really want to talk about. Cause you're like, she'll be like, okay, that's nice. But it's not the same as if I were talking to like the two of you about a podcast or a show, because like you get how the community works or how hard some things are to do or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's mainly it just, and it's not that I don't get to talk about it. It's just, it wouldn't, it would get lost in translation. Yeah, that's fair. So. Well, I was thinking when you said that too about how like something I'm really I'm still like really in awe of is like some of the people we've gotten to work with on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just imagining some of the people we've got to we got to bring in. Like I mean, especially like Emma at the end. But I mean, just like getting to work with Sarah, getting to work with David Deere, and getting to work with like 
Poe. I mean, Toe just forever I've been in awe of. So, But I did want to mention in this as well that the thing that I was really proud of that I never got – have really have had a chance to like talk about or explain to anyone was bringing in the Palestine storyline in season four as well and working on that with um, Serena Rahal who um, plays Nima and did so much of the plotting for that storyline and so much of the sensitivity reading for that storyline and just like gave me resources to work from and everything. It was – Really important to me. We had had the NAC stuff referenced in several seasons before that. And I like that was important as well. And I had reasons why I wanted to set like one of the like biggest seats of the resistance there. But then in season four, so much to me was about the history of revolution and finding ways to support each other through it that. There was nowhere that it seemed like more important to talk about than um, the oppression in Palestine and just the idea that they continue to push back and to find ways to stand with other um, groups across the world. And of course, like at the end of the show, we go even beyond that. But yeah, so that storyline was really important to me and – I tried to make sure I was doing it justice and wrote it properly and like made sure that again, like Serena and Serena um, had other people that, that they worked with as well that helped us to just sort of craft it properly. And especially right now, that just seems really important and I'm really glad that we managed to pull it off. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Sorry. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's especially just I don't know the the timing of of when our show came out just or was kind of wrapping up just um kind of drove all that home I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're still um doing what we can right now on all of our social media to help spread the word about things, and we're making donations, and we're doing everything we can to help out mm-hmm. in the little ways that we can because that's really important in the very real world outside this show as well. Yeah. All right. Our next question was, um, (laughs) I'll do it. it. (laughs) Our next question is from AMC as well. Um, and, um, she asked if you could steal one character from another show and have them on moon base theta, the place, not just the show. Um, who would it be and why? And so apparently that means that um, Moonbase Theta, the place, means that you can only choose someone to have on Moonbase Theta. You can't put them anywhere else in the show. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so again, I'll let you two answer first. Man. If you don't have one, uh, I've got one, I think. You can go first. Um, I, I just... I want to have uh, I want to have Olivia from uh, Oz Nine uh, hang out with Tumnus. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, I change be my mind all the time. <laughs> oh, but it'd be good. Oh yeah. Like, although, <laughs> oh, good. Although there was, it would it would be hard to be as funny as it was to have like her with Michelle in the yeah. special. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, technically, <laughs> almost. Which, which is actually the start of my answer. Um, I'll give I'll give you some time too, Tina. Um, okay. Which my answer is that I did most of mine in the holiday special mm-hmm. <laughs> because most of the shows that I loved that I really wanted to cross over with, um, Pasadena Powder and Oz Nine and Side Questing and stuff, I specifically like reached out and asked people and then put into there. But 
I did all, I did also write down in my notes here that I would take just about anyone from Caravan and put them on the moon and see what happens, even though I can't because Caravan actually exists as a piece of fiction in the world of the show. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, that kind of makes it a little difficult. Um, I, th- I change my mind on this one all the time, but I think I'm going to go with um, Jacoby from Wolf 359. Um, <laughs> I don't I think it would end terribly, but I think that he and Wilder would either get along or hate each other. But, um, and you know what? He, maybe he could have fixed the problem. He likes to blow things up. He could have helped with, you know, the collapse and all of the bad stuff that happened. You never know. Or, or he could have, yeah. Or he could have helped a or made it worse or, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a bad idea, but you know, <laughs> Hey, and we have a new questioner entering the chat. Captain Hodor. And the first question from them is, is there anything you now with more experience would have wanted to do differently for season four? And again, I'll throw that out to you guys before me. Man, I don't know if anything that I would have wanted to do different for season four would have made a difference because I feel like just the process is going to be the process no matter how it goes. So I think every time I feel like, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do it smarter. I'm going to go about it a better way. Something happens and it ends up the same as it did before. And you're like, wait, what? I planned for this. How am I time loop? What's going on? Mm. But yeah. So I, I don't know that I think. Yeah, I, I. I feel like that there might not have been a major difference other than um, I'm not going to steal the answer that's written down in the notes here, but I definitely, when we get to it, I think that's gotta be it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, the problem is I, I think I did what I, what I could do. I think if we took added to this and you don't have to maintain a nine to five <laughs> job so that you can stay yeah, alive. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the main, like, because I would have like what I really wanted to do with this season, what I kind of expected to do is we, that we would be bringing on a sound designer and then I would be able to kind of really double down into like I could have, as I was mentioning in a previous answer, I could have really gone in on like marketing through those little pocket casts more. Or I could have like, you know, done a lot more to try to spread uh, the word about the show. Like I really wanted to try to dig into that, like really give it a go. And then I just had to throw it all out the window because I did not have any leftover uh, juice <laughs> at the end of a day. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, I was, I was scrambling to, to, to just kind of make sure that I could keep the momentum going on anything else. And luckily I got good enough at it and figured out exactly all the corners that could be cut and still feel okay about the final product. <laughs> yeah. um, well, so man. that I could like get it done. Um, but yeah, so that's the, I, I, I just wish that I had had, uh, you know, the ability to um, to do kind of what I had originally planned, which was just like really try to get the show into more uh, into more ears and into more eyeballs who are reading the transcript. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that sort of becomes like my answer too, just with that the writing became so much that I didn't have time because I was always the one who was sort of primarily responsible for marketing stuff. And like putting everything out on social media and so on and so on. And we had talked about other people doing it or or breaking it up and stuff. And we all just got too busy. But my answer that I had put down in the spreadsheet for this ahead of time was, (laughs) is there anything we would with more experience would have wanted to do differently? And I I just put more time in capital letters. (laughs) 
It's unclear whether yeah. that means I wish we had taken more time to release the show or I wish more time existed. I just, I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I just wish there was more time in general. Mm-hmm. But no, because um, the whole, and I think this was fair, was sort of applied to season three as well. But season three, we were throwing things to an outside um, sound designer more. But I feel like we got to a point where the momentum of the show was, it was, it had built so fast and it had become so big that we were just sort of like, running along with it to try to keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt the entire, like the entire fourth season went. Like I wanted to have everything written ahead of time, further ahead of time. I wanted to have like rehearsals further ahead of time. I wanted to have recording further ahead of time so that everybody didn't sort of get like in the crunch for things, but it just, it was too big. And I felt like if we took bigger breaks than we had, that, we'd start losing control of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like not just, not just people like, I mean, you want, want people to have, want to have a regular schedule so that people know that they, the when the next episode will be coming and they keep listening and there's no drop off. And as far as that goes too, but I just sort of felt like we were all like keeping up. And I feel like we put stuff out that was good quality, but I feel like we were keeping that up by just like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if we stopped, we might not find our way back to that place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But now here we are and (laughs) all of us really need a nap. (sighs) Yeah. A nap would be good. But in the of a nap, I will ask you another question from Becca Deej. Um, and that is what part of the season was hardest to write? And this is a pretty easy answer. And I think it's what everyone would expect me to say. And it's the end. I mean, the end of it was hardest emotionally because it was the end, but it was hardest because of the way that I did sort of like plot things out and plan things out that I was pulling a lot of it together by the seat of my pants and everything was just piling up at the end, and I kept having to go back through and be like, okay, did we tie up all the loose ends? Did we resolve the important storylines? So that was really hard, and then the emotional punch of it was just a lot too, and especially the bonus episodes, because each of the bonus episodes is just like me picking another huge hard thing to try to write about. <laughs> like trying to get deeper into Ashwini's background and Jackson's background, telling a Nung story and trying to be like, honor that experience that isn't mine. And then writing my bonus episode, which I really didn't expect. And I'm still going to, you know, quietly like get Sarah for choosing that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> writing mine and then deciding that the only thing I could really think of to do with him at that point was to try to explore the one thing I never got to talked about in the show, which is restorative justice. And I still don't know like how well I did with it, but the idea of how do you find some way to recover someone who did terrible things and maybe doesn't want to recover from them. Right. So yeah, all of that stuff was probably the hardest to write. The easiest to write was always, you know, Ashwini and Tumnus. Yep. <laughs> Okay, I can do this to each question. Uh, this is from Marissa. And since we only really see the beginnings of it, what was Nessa's full plan for moon colonization? And what did she have in mind for defenses? Okay. So I think as far as Nessa's full plan, 
it's just sort of more of what we saw Jackson working on and implementing that there were all of these different areas that needed to sort of be resolved um, to make things self-sustainable. Just sort of fixing the things about like human bodies that make it impossible to live forever on the moon, making food supplies self-sustainable, um, like water and things like that, making things like psychologically self-sustainable. And so, yeah, I think it was just extending all of those to the point where it would be possible for them to stay up there forever. And as far as defenses, I think she just didn't even consider it. I think it's not that she's naive about that kind of thing, but I think it's just something that Nessa would be completely like unable to consider that she would just assume someone else was going to figure that out. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. 100%. Uh, I've got one from, uh, we've got another, another questioner. Uh, we've got uh, Jay Crest or Trest. My apologies. Uh, if I should not be it's pronouncing C H Crest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so did all of Cass and Paul's puppies get adopted at the freehold? What happened to them? I think we, we got a hint of what happened to them. I don't know if it was ever really said in the show fully. So yeah. What happened to the puppies? Yeah. Well, if we I go have... back, if we go back to season two, episode nine, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and no. the, yeah, and the um, the monologue there, I think that um, I did, I resolved it enough for me, where um, he says that the Santos, the Santoses were their neighbors in um, Rio Sao Paulo, that the Santos kids took all the puppies. Um, the line says the Santos kids took all the puppies, all of them, every goddamn one. Um, the parents have a plan. They're a bit more secure in the current situation than I can be, but the puppies are safe. And I think that that's as far as I got in my planning to is that their neighbors took them and their neighbors had um, more of a plan sort of for getting out. And so uh, my assumption was they're on a farm now. They're on a farm out in the country running and chasing rabbits. Good. And every single one of them has a cute name that got figured out during our first uh, Kickstarter or whatever the hell. That's it was true campaign. too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty well, yeah, sure the puppies, she the puppies are safe. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want me to do this one? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, it's Marissa again. Why was the Enclave officer so particular towards that specific reception bot? <laughs> <laughs> this is where I have to explain a little bit of a behind-the-scenes joke. Marissa is um, one of my partners, and the entire like lifetime of the show, they have been teasing me about all of the little references to that reception bot, particularly that the Enclave officer calls it Darlin. The entire time, <laughs> and whether or not there's a certain you know predilection implied there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, we all thought it. We just were too polite to ask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that um, I think it's more sort of, at least in my head, it was more sort of just the idea that he likes having something that subservient toward him, mm -hmm. but. I don't have a problem with people uh, making other assumptions about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And another thing that Marissa added that isn't really a question, but I'm sure that everyone will agree with, was also Roger and Alex had better live the rest of their lives peacefully on the moon or else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's no question mark there. That is a statement. No, that was in their list of questions, but it is not a question. It is a statement. (laughs) Now, look at who's left on the moon, though. Do we really think that it was peaceful, per se? (laughs) Like, I mean... I don't know while they're left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. She did. She did. So, so it could be. It's definitely going to be good. But I feel like peaceful. They're they're crazy in the best way. Like, it's well, I mean, and the megas are still up there, and the like idea is that there are probably going to be further conflicts in the future. But I yeah. like to think that whatever happens, that. Roger and Alex are no longer going to be as, as much at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can sort of have time to just be themselves and be together. Soft that retirement. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to assume that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and we're moving to another question from AMC now saying this may have been answered before. I don't think it ever has been. But what is your go to olfactory scent? Ooh. It would depend so much on my mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay i'm gonna take this one because i'm just gonna be predictable um good quality just ground coffee beans mm. like nice because that's like any sense there's so there's such a variant and a variable and like is it gonna be like the fake this scent or is it gonna actually smell just just ground coffee beans that's a constant it's fine even crappy coffee smells really good when you like start to make that's it. Nice so one. you know, that's nice. When I'm on board with that one, I don't need an answer. Yeah. <laughs> what it, it it if I was looking for something comforting, it would probably be like fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Um, <sighs> but if I wanted something refreshing, it would probably be like the smell of a crisp fall day. I don't know how you get that in old factory, but uh, that's what mm-hmm. I want. Well, I like to think that um, the ways that we've sort of talked about it a little bit um, in different scenes, that there are like these great olfactory designers who (laughs) spend all of their time like creating these symphonies of scent. (laughs) Oh, I think the next question is for me. So one of you two is going to have to Okay, I got it. It's from (laughs) Becca. And it is, did the message that Tumnus tried to send in the season three bonus ever make its way to Jen Ponton? And what about the message from season four, episode four, where she composes lyrics? Dude, this is an easy one. I don't think that <laughs> I don't think that anything made its way to Jen Ponton before the epilogue. I don't think it can because Jen obviously is not expecting this call or Tumnus's existence. So I have to say that no, those messages didn't get there. But I'm sure that now that they're together in the end of the epilogue, that Tumnus is babbling about all of it <laughs> as fast Probably. as she can get the words out. So. <laughs> Like, that would have been fun, too. I had to, like, Cass, you were the one who said the epilogue was sort of my victory lap anyway. But I really had to stop myself from just, like, spending pages and pages and pages just, like, lingering in some of those conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll jump to the next one, which is also Becca. Um, we've got a lot of questions in a row from Becca here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this yeah. one is for Tina. I, I threw this one to Tina. It was technically for anyone. Um <laughs> And it is, what pocket cast did Wilder and Tumnus listen to together after season four, episode two, before Wilder leaves for the North Pole? There's a specific moment where um, Tumnus and Wilder have this scene where Tumnus is really still upset about Wilder getting ready to leave. 
And Wilder is like, I'm going to go listen to podcasts. You want to come with me? And so Becca wants to know what they listen to. So Tina, that is up to you. Yeah, because I, I you know, I really, I, I wanted to flect and just let the writer of the show answer. But <laughs> I can't, I've been, I've been thinking about it, trying to figure out what that she would have listened to. And there's so many good possibilities. And I think, I think I'm going to have it would have been the first episode starting season one of the black tapes podcast. <laughs> like, and just not tell like, cause I don't, for anyone who's listening that has not listened to the black tapes when it started, they presented it as a real thing. Like they, they didn't present it as a fiction podcast and like it confused a lot of people at first. Cause like it was, it was my first podcast besides welcome to nightmare. So like, I was just like, it's fake, right? Like <laughs> maybe it, it took me a little bit and then, you know, I figured it out and whatever. And so I feel like she would have presented that to Tumnus without comment. And I mean, of course, <laughs> Tumnus is like, you know, an artificial consciousness. She would have figured it out, but you know, like just like play it for her and let her wonder. And then with, with, with the thought process that she would finish that series, like while Wilder was gone <laughs> and um, how her opinions and thoughts on it when Wilder got home. But yeah, I just, I feel like it would have just been dropped without comment, explanation, context, anything, and be like, yeah, you should listen to this with me. Mm. And then left it, it is, at that. It is sort of the podcast version of the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's so many good answers for that. Like, I, I was like, oh, Wilder would have listened to this. She also would have listened to this. I, yeah, it's been all day. Like, what would it be? What would it be? What would it be? What would it be? <laughs> what do you guys think? What would you think that it would have been? Uh. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I I wanted to think of something, something uh, that was like. It's funny is like I don't actually know a lot of like you know most people think about podcasts and they they don't realize that fiction podcasts are a thing and then uh-huh. yeah. and, and so they know all these other podcasts. I can I have a hard time thinking about nonfiction podcasts, mm-hmm. but for some reason, I imagine that she would be into those. You know, she'd be like, I yeah, just want I mean, to hear people talking about something. Yeah, it didn't specify, even though, like, most of our references inside the show were to other fiction podcasts, just because it was kind of fun to throw those in there. Yeah. Like, Wilder doesn't say that. She just says podcast. Oh, yeah. Could have been anything. I really, really wanted to find and pick the most, like, not Wilder, like, dude, bro, how we joke about white guys are on a microphone <laughs> podcast. Like, I wanted to do that, but I'm like, I don't know any. Yeah. But I'm like, I could see it being something tactile, something handy. Just because she's so much of a, I fix things, I do things, mm, you know. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those. Um, do you remember when that podcast? Um, yeah, it, different things. Just because she's so on the the memes and the internet history and all of that stuff. So maybe something like that. Wilder should start a podcast. Hot take. No, can you imagine? Oh yeah, my god, Wilder fix a podcast. It would be so rambly and wonderful. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You know, if we if the show wasn't over, then we could make it a Patreon or exclusive. <laughs> but the show is over, and we have no more work to do on it. So darn, we Ever. can't do oh, it. Ever again. <laughs> uh, I, I'll throw a couple of at you, DJ. I think one of them's going to be fairly fast, but they're both Becca yeah. questions. First one is Val. Ah. Did Val ever recover the coin? And this goes back to the second mini series, to the introduction of Val in the base um, epsilon, right? I don't remember anymore in the base yes. that she lived on yes. episode and um, the coin that she, that she was looking for the entire time. I don't think she has found it yet. I think she is still in the process of 
um, inventorying every one of the supply stashes because she only got that information at the very end of the show. And so I think she's definitely on the case now, but I don't think that she's found it yet. And I'll throw you another it's, one. That's it's funny because like that was in like in my head and in the original plotting for the season, that was going to be the um the locator that allowed Michelle to find the stash that Wilder was stuck in. Oh. So, so I was originally gonna use that. But then it was just so much funnier when I thought, wait, <laughs> he still has the locator on that he set up in season two. Yeah. For so, that, that must have gotten <laughs> turned back on at some point. Because obviously, like, it during yeah, season yeah, three, yeah. I have to turn it off. Because it would have yeah. been annoying. But yeah. I, Can you imagine? But I love that. Uh, I loved that callback. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I read that in Cackle. <laughs> I, I got to Cackle as Michelle. So that was fun. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, I'll throw through the next one, which is what happened to the uh, Enclave officers' bots after the rocket crash? Were they all destroyed, or were some able to perform their tasks? Or is there, you know one of them um, is one of them what made the tracks that Wilder saw? Maybe. Nope, none of those bots made it through. Um, my assumption was always that the tracks Wilder saw would have come from the bots that like Val was in the course of sending out in her miniseries episode. Which weren't like her responsibility at all, but that was sort of the Enclave officer. Well, I mean, technically, those are the Enclave officers' bots too, because he was the one sending stuff out to the stashes. Mm. But it wasn't one of the bots that was coming on the rocket with um, Payload and Alex and um, Addy. That one just crashed. You want to take the next couple Becca questions, uh, Tina? All right. Not a question, but apparently. The Enclave officer interviewed himself. I would love to hear or read that. Oh yeah, that was like a throwaway reference near. <laughs> I mean, earlier in the season when um, he's settling into the Air Force base, and sort of they. Um, I think Slipstream says it that we heard you. We all heard you interview yourself, and that was sort of his way of introducing <laughs> himself to the base. <laughs> nice. But I am sure no one needs to hear that, <laughs> and that will never be written or recorded. So. <laughs> I mean, fan fiction exists, so somebody could yeah, make it. That's happen. true. I have no control over fan fiction. And Although now I can read, read it. Yeah. Oh my god. I can actually read fan fiction now, so you guys should all go and write some because I'm actually able to read it now that the show is <laughs> over, and right. no one can accuse me of stealing their ideas. Write all your Enclave Officer X reception bot fic. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. No. Do it. No. Kaz and I support and love you. You should do it. <laughs> and, and you know. You love, you love them, too. You just don't love that idea. Um, you want another question, or should we stay no, on go, this topic? Go, go, <laughs> you, for, for the next question, in, yeah. Nessa, how is her family doing? Are the kids all right? And are they planting their own gardens, maybe? And that's another Becca question. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, the kids are obviously well-cared for and well-loved. They have their other parents. But, of course, everyone... Misses her terribly, I'm sure. I like to think that Elena, like, part of the reason why Elena went to the moon was to, like, gather stories and gather, like, people's, like, experiences with her to take back to her family. So I'm sure that that happens afterwards as well. And I'm sure that at least someone in that huge family is planting gardens as well. And Elena's probably working with them as well because she had the bots that were sort of cultivating everything. 
but yeah, no, I'm. I think mean, that would have been nice to like revisit at some point too. But again, there just wasn't time to like go to go home with everybody after the show. <laughs> oh, Nessa. <sighs> but then Becca ended this list of questions with <laughs> something we all still want. <laughs> Yes. Epi- episode or scene entirely voiced by Cass when? Uh, oops, darn, I've done all my sound design. It'll <laughs> never happen. And for those of you who um, aren't inhabiting our Discord and might not know <laughs> the inside joke there, the, is that Cass, when we did rehearsals or when we were like doing like scratch recordings and stuff, um, just reworking out the kinks in the scripts, um, Cass would quite often do the voices of whoever wasn't available at the moment. So if we're doing a scene and Wilder is in it and only got 10, 10 lines or something and Tina wasn't there, then Cass would do his Wilder voice. He does a very good Elio voice. <laughs> um, so we always wanted him to just do like pick a scene and just do all of the voices all like right after each other. Uh, it, it's funny because I just, I can't not, like when I see the when I've heard what the person who does the line sounds like, and then I see that that character saying that line, it just doesn't feel right to me to not at least try to evoke that character the way that it exists in my brain. That is how my brain works for for <laughs> reasons I do not understand. Um, yeah. I mean, I do it too. Like I didn't read for people as often, but particularly like Tumnus or Ashwini when I would read for them. Oh yeah. You're, you're a Sweeney definitely did. Mine. Yeah. I yeah. would fall into their intonations. Um, all right. So since you guys do the voices like that, I, I feel like I know Cass's um, and I mean, you guys by default as well, Deej, what was your favorite one to do? Oh, I would read Ashwini forever. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question. I mean, Ashwini was, I've, <laughs> It's it's un it's a little unfair to have favorites as blatantly <laughs> as my favorite <laughs> to write for and direct and record was a tweeny, but I can't I can't help it. For me, it's probably so, a toss up. It's it's between uh, Wilder and Tumnus, probably. <gasps> oh, I am completely wrong. I'm sitting here like he's gonna say Elio. Elio's fine. No, I think I don't everyone like. I think yeah. everyone liked Elio just because of the accent, but I, de- yeah. I never thought Cast enjoyed doing it. <laughs> I, I, I feel I like maybe it, that's but... what the conversation was: was that we all liked it, yeah, I, and I not like, that it was the favorite. I like doing it. I just um, it doesn't like Tumnus is was just really fun to do, um, and Jen's kind of approach to the character just just I could hear it in my head quite quite well, so I just really <laughs> enjoyed that, but. But yeah, I don't know. I've, and honestly, here, um, Roger, I'd really liked doing Rogers because uh-huh. Lehman's <laughs> voice, again, as Roger, just uh. really embedded itself into my brain. And I really started to like his cadence. And I'm probably going to steal it and use it in my in, in, elsewhere. You can't, ha, ha, you can't stop me, Lehman. Come get me. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I think we're at least halfway through the list of questions right now. Did we want to take a break? That sounds good to me. So we'll we'll take a quick break and then then we'll be back and uh, and answer more questions. Yay! And we're back. We all took a little break there. When you know, got some more water. 
did other things that might need to be done. Cass accidentally switched over to his laptop mic, yep, but yep. we're back. Good and we're all good now. And we're going to go back into our questions. We've still got a nice little list here. And the next two sort of go together. So whichever one of you is going to read them can just do both of them at the same time. I'll um, take them. Why not? Go for it. <laughs> we were both going to go for it. Finally, we yeah, both yeah, were, we're like, like, we got yes, this. Read, I will read see both of today. those questions simultaneously. Oh, God, no. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Especially with, okay, if we were in person, sure, but on Discord, no, no, no. Yeah, no. All right. So uh, this is another one from Captain Hodor. Um, when in the writing process did you know that the best way to tie up the story was with aliens? <laughs> uh, for some reason. I love that it's capitalized. Aliens. I like that aliens is capitalized, too. Yes. So we're going, we're going to assume the aliens are actually, you know, the face hugger variety. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens. Uh, and how would the story have looked without them? Sorry, I had a cat. In the background. <laughs> oh no! I'm going to pretend that didn't happen mm-hmm. until the end of the. Good plan. But okay, actually answering the question, <laughs> <laughs> getting back into this and answering the question, we may or may not edit that out. Um, if you if you can actually hear Mochi in the background, we might. I didn't. But hear anything. yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. When did I decide on aliens? Um, and did I know the series ending before writing it? Yes. Otherwise, like I mean, I did sort of tailor the entire like final season to try to like, bring it to that point in subtle ways. But yeah, I think I decided um, close to the end of season three, and I don't mean close to the end of writing season three, I mean close to the end of producing season three, because that was when I started plotting things out for what we had decided was going to be the final season. And, or I guess I decided it was going to be the final <laughs> season and um, starting to think about what the ending of the show would be like. And I sort of went through a bunch of things in my head and ways that we could tie things up and the themes that I wanted to explore. And it came down to the idea that I really wanted the final season to be about um, how revolution becomes sustainable, how this sort of like pushing back against um, the system is how you can continue it like for year after year, generation after generation, knowing that it might take like centuries to make any movement on these things and looking at like people and um, groups that have done it for obviously a lot longer than I've been alive. And what it always seems to come down to is cooperation and like having like the support of other people in similar situations. Like, um, we were talking a little bit about Palestine and right now, like the biggest support that I'm seeing for um, the Palestinian um, citizens is from like other oppressed groups is from um, indigenous groups in America and Canada and from um, black, black lives matters groups and black rights groups in the States and in Canada and places like that. And I'm, and I feel like that's such a huge thing. And of course, Palestinians have always like stood up for them as well. And I feel like, so much of what makes makes it possible for you to keep like living that struggle year after year is knowing that other people have your back in it. And so I wanted to try to find ways to explore that. And I thought like we did the things on earth and we did the, did the things where we started exploring the other bases and waking them up and starting like other mini revolutions on, on the moon 
But I wanted to take that a little bit of a step further too. And I wanted to sort of go back to like, we've had the like through line the whole time that Ashwini's whole purpose is sending these messages into space. And I thought that it would be a nice way to sort of like take the whole thing into macrocosm. If there were eventually aliens that heard that. And it sort of answers the question too, of what Ashwini was sending out all this time. Because we find out that um, Z wasn't sending out the messages that Roger was writing (laughs) and was sending out um, stuff of his own. And so I think that that's what um, Z was doing, was sending out reports about what the situation was on Earth and on the moon and, like, what their struggle was. And so I just liked the idea that they found, like, a similar resistance group out in space as well. And it wasn't something where, like, they could swoop in and save us, and that tied back to some stuff we had said earlier in the show as well. Mm. Um, it, they couldn't swoop in and save us. They couldn't – they weren't going to come in and, you know, like, of course, take the corporation side. They were on our side. But all they could do is offer us their voice and their support. And I don't want to say all they could do because, I mean, that's a really big thing. But I wanted to play with those ideas and see whether or not I could weave that into something that felt hopeful but realistic in the end of our sort of story of revolution here. As for how would the story have looked without them, I'm not really sure because, like (laughs) I said, I sort of made that decision and was working toward it the entire final season. But I think if I had decided that aliens just felt way too out there, it probably would have been – a similar arc, but focusing more on Roger as well. And like using Roger's voice and using Roger's popularity amongst um, people down on earth to try to pull everyone together. But I think that's part of why I didn't go that way as well, because first of all, like I think Roger is like too messed up to really be the, the mm-hmm. hero of the of everything mm-hmm. but i didn't want it to come down to one person i didn't want it to want it to come down to like one voice saving everyone i wanted it to be another coalition another like group of people banding together so mm-hmm. yeah I, I think the the next question from peter x y z um uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh kind of ties into that but uh, you, you might have sort of answered it already which is did you know the series ending before writing it I, I think the answer is kind of no <laughs> yeah no i think that's the same thing is that i i had to I had to i had to make the decision like i mean there are obviously a lot of things that changed and it would be hard for me to even track those down now because so many things change while i write this write this stuff where um, ideas that I have will all of a sudden not work in a scene, and then I, then that sort of ripples down further, and I have to change stuff, and I have to change how things are happening. But, like, the main ending, the idea that the aliens show up, or the aliens send a message, and we're able to tie that into um, Roger sort of sharing that with the world. And I think even the baby ACs weren't necessarily in it when I first came up with that idea, but the baby ACs tying into it as well, and then Tumnus's whole thing like coming up, to, coming to fruition in that. That I think all of that was really necessary to understand before I started writing the entire season. So, so there. All right. Thanks. Um, where do we have, I think the next one was for, oh yeah. Um, is from Peter X, Y, Z as well. <laughs> Canadians, <laughs> we win. 
asking, yeah. did you intend for such a large cast or did it grow organically? And I guess technically this would be a question for me as the writer director of the yeah. show, but I am going to let you two answer it because you know this as well as I do. <laughs> oh, oh, so we have to answer it truthfully. Okay. 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 <laughs> Oops. I mean, uh, you can answer any way you want. I guess. Uh, no. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the question, right? <laughs> Did DJ like... have control over the show? No. No. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, your plan was just you and uh, Lehman to begin with, right? Like just to do the thing, and then it's like, oh, well, let's. Here, there's these bonus things. Let's bring Tina and David in, and and oh, oh, now, okay, so now we're gonna actually do the thing. Well, we need everybody that's on the base, and then oh my. God, we're gonna make wake everybody up. Okay, well now we need da 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 da. And I really think you just wanted to put everybody that you like working with in the show. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, <laughs> and that is that is to a, to a great extent fair. And I think that I'd like to um, make it sound more noble than that and be like, oh well, <laughs> to write a to write a story about revolution and about people coming together, there have to be a lot of people doing it. But I do think a lot of it was just that I was so excited about like getting to work with more actors and getting to tell the bigger story as it started expanding and it got a little out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> now here's the thing. If you had to do it again, would you do it the exact same way or would you keep it on a smaller scale? Like find a different way to tell the story. That's a good question. Cause I, t cause I told you guys when, um, when things started feeling really out of control in the final season and I was still had like <laughs> five or six episodes to write, I was going, I was going to go back to like, okay, so Roger's just going to tell you the rest of the story <laughs> and everyone yeah. else is going to be done. But mm -hmm. I think it probably would have happened a lot the same way because some of it too was just like you said, like wanting to connect with all these people and wanting to bring people in and like write parts for them and enjoy playing in this universe with them. So I don't think I could have resisted. resisted really, I can't talk. either. <laughs> I don't think I could have resisted that in the long run. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. All right. And now we've got a bunch of questions for you two. We're going to start out <laughs> with a couple questions for past. Oh, good. Christy. Christy asked, how hard was it to teach yourself sound design and what went into that process? And how do you form a library of effects? Well, what you do is you you decide that you want to do a thing and then you commit to doing it and then you go, oh, no. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and then you start doing the thing. And so I, I've done a little bit of just kind of mini sound design throughout the years. I'd used Audacity to do the odd thing here or there, but like I'd really never delved into it more deeply. Um, and then we started needing, like, I think when I really started to kind of play with it more was when in season two, we were kind of getting ready to launch and, and I was like, oh, it would be fun to kind of cut together a trailer from like, you know, little bits of lines that people have. And so I started, you know, that's kind of why I wound up helping to produce the thing because I was just like keen to like do stuff like that. Um, and so I started just goofing around in audacity, just trying to figure out how to throw things together. And then what you realize after, you know, when you start trying to do full episodes of things in audacity, I think I, um, I did an episode of monkey tales with my first kind of like, Hey, I'm going to actually try to do a sound design. And I, I'm actually pretty yeah. happy with how that turned out. Um, it, it, but it was, I learned that sound designing in audacity was, tough because it's uh, there's probably ways if you're smart to do non-destructive editing but I don't know if that's true either way it's not very intuitively so um, so I, I realized as soon as I had done that and then I did a few of the bonus episodes um, 
for all your base. And I realized, okay, if I'm, I want to do this, this is fun. I enjoy kind of playing with sounds and effects and trying to make everything kind of, you know, feel like it's all in the same space. But I really need a way to be able to move stuff around more easily. So I, that's when I made the switch from Audacity to Reaper. Uh, because Reaper is, it's free to use for quite a long time. It's at least 30 days that you can just use the whole thing for free. And then after that, it just politely asks you to pay for it every time, but it doesn't like restrict your ability to use it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I'm going to keep using this and make sure that I can use it and that it'll work. And then like, as soon as I know, yes, this is <laughs> like, I can use this, then, we'll, then I, I will just, I'll buy the license and I'm happy to buy the license. And uh, so I, so that was my, uh. Uh, kind of my, my <laughs> the, the the carrot on the stick that got me to go over to Reaper. Oh, and it's so much better. Oh, it's so easy to move stuff around, and uh, you know, if you decide later on that you want to scooch one piece of dialogue, it's so much easier. Um, so yeah, uh, mostly it was me just kind of uh deciding uh, you know that I had a good enough ear for what sounded good that I could um kind of make it up as I went along and essentially look up YouTube tutorials whenever I was like, okay, I want to do this thing. Surely there's a way to do something like this. Uh, and then at least being able to to figure out how to find the right search term to get, you know, the feature that I wanted. Um, and yeah. there, was, there were some things I didn't realize early on that would have been so much easier. Like um, my big test for myself was um, uh, the prologue, uh, prologue two of season four which had a scene of everybody in the rocket um and it had a lot of effects that i needed to source and a lot of effects that i needed to create um and i figured if i can do that and it turned out honestly that was the most difficult piece of sound design in the entire series probably um <laughs> but i i was able to do it in a way that i didn't hate the results uh and i think it worked fairly well um and so i was like okay i can do this um but uh, yeah, as for <laughs> as for how to build a library of effects, what I did is I went to Freesound uh, and I turned on uh, Creative Commons Zero so that it would Damn. only look for stuff that um, that I didn't have to do attribution for because that was just too messy and I didn't want to worry about it. Um, and Damn. then I would just search for stuff. <laughs> Uh, and now I have a huge library of sounds that I will never use again because, of course, you know a lot of them are ones that you reuse, like the yeah. sounds that there's. I've got the chimes. I've got you know, these are things that were even you know I've had door. to keep yeah. using the door opening and closing, the knock that is used. But <laughs> but I think yeah, I, I had to create sounds for you know what's Weeble's voice going to sound like and what is <laughs> what's the track going to sound like that he's traveling on and um. Uh, and you know, playing around with like what's what's Wilder's arm sound like when Wilder's arm was a little messed up for a little bit after she fell in the hole. Um, I yeah. I brought in just a little hint of kind of what she had sounded like in season two, just to sort of like, oh, she's she's having some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should yeah, let's let's not uh, talk about the process uh, I went through just how designing oh. <laughs> season two. Poor arm. Oh my god, I can't even, yeah, yeah, no. The, and I, I honestly, all your backgrounds that you created were godsend to me because I used them through. Oh, here's a fun thing about sound design I, um, the different bases have a different pitch of their hum. Uh, and I think it's consistent. You can check, and if it's wrong, sorry, but I'm pretty sure gamma was consistently one pitch, um, epsilon was a slightly different pitch. I think I made it quite low for when they were on ADA that one or two times. 
um, just so that it sounded kind of a little more menacing. But yeah, I wanted them to be like, it's the same file. It's literally just pitch shifted a little bit just so that it's like their air conditioning's tuned slightly differently because they're on a different base. Um, And would anybody have ever known? Probably not. Uh, But I liked to, I liked that I did that and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. You know, right, I have to let a cat out. Um, if you, you can ask yourselves the next few questions, okay. I'll be back in a second. We can do that. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Cass, it, kind of in line with the other one, what was it like taking over the sound design for this season? Do you have a favorite sound effect that you used? And what was the most difficult part? I think I covered some of that. My, what's yeah. my favorite sound effect? I don't know. I've, I've got some the, some staples that I that I used. Uh, so we uh, finding good um, footsteps is hard, and I used a lot of the same footsteps. And I'm sorry if that got grating, but you know, you want things to oh, sound somewhat depth. consistent. But <laughs> such a hot button topic. <laughs> my my excuse is here's here's I'll, I'll give you my mental image. Um, Everybody on Moonbase Theta, except for I think Michelle, I usually gave him clunkier sounding shoes, especially if he <laughs> if he was just coming in like out of the um uh the airlock or something and anybody who was coming out of an airlock would have uh you know more kind of heavy boot sounds because you're clearly wearing a spacesuit. Um but for everybody who was working in uh in Moonbase Theta and you know it was had a position where you had like, you know, you were you were working on one of the moon bases. You had standard issue boots, and in my mind, they look like the boots from uh, from the, the original Star Trek from the sixties. Um, <laughs> and so everybody is wearing those boots. That's my excuse. You're welcome. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So footsteps are one of the hardest things. Like, I mean, I did the sound design for a bunch of the monkey tail stuff, and for season two of Moonbase, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, footsteps are always, like, one of the, like, hardest things to get just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, to a point, isn't there, like, some holy grail piece of either equipment or software that everybody's like, guys, I found it. <laughs> it, it costs a bunch of money, but buy it because, oh, my God, I hate footsteps. Like, I, I've never done sound. Okay, I, I put sound effects in spaces for that Patreon thing, but we don't talk about that. But, like, seeing everybody <laughs> go nuts about footsteps and what you use and what you use and what he uses and what they use and what she uses. And Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to watch from someone who's never had to mess with it. And then like the people that are like, man, I listened to this show, not ours, but like just a generic, this show and the footsteps were crazy, but they were in space. Why would they even have footsteps? I know they didn't have gravity and it was just like, shh. (laughs) Enjoy the footsteps. Yeah. (laughs) I, um, I, I think the favorite thing that I did, and it was quite quite a while ago. There's two, I guess there's two, one very subtle thing and one bigger thing. So I talked about um, the the spaceship. Uh, you know, I had to do sound design the rocket having problems and sounding oh, convincingly yeah. like you know, oh no, we're in space and having a problem. That is bad, and the alarms going off <laughs> and the air hiss and stuff. And then all those were written into the script. Like I didn't. It's not like I came up with all that sound design. That was all like given to me, and I just had to figure out how to make it go. Um, but the, for certain, like, uh, stuff is breaking apart sounds. I, I was like, I I had to, this is how you have to think when you're doing sound design. You can't think I need to look up that sound. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to think to yourself, what sounds like what I want this to sound like. So for instance, sometimes like Wilder had keys. We wanted keys jangling. I couldn't find good jangling keys, but sometimes I would find like, um, or this is, this is somebody's got tool or sorry. While there's a tool belt, can't find tools. I can find (laughs) keys and kind of play around with it. And then that sounds right. Um, 
So for the 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 ship breaking apart sounds, I was like, I want something that sounds like it's cracking apart. What about trees falling? So that's what I wound up looking up. Is like, uh, so a lot of those sound effects are manipulated trees, you know, kind of cracking and falling that I've like slowed down and added some sort of EQ to to kind of take away a lot of the you know the sounds of like branches and things, but just try to get that kind of crack. Um, so yeah, that was that was part of my the fun stuff. The more subtle one. We had one line. I can't remember where it was. We need a, a, a Roger was in the stasis pod room. We needed a sigh from Roger so that we could hear that he was there. And Lehman had not recorded a sigh because it was just, you know, it was lost in the, it, it, I think it was, you know, just that sometimes happens. The actor just doesn't see that they needed to make a sound. It's fine. Yeah, but we needed that sigh, and I was like, I just don't think, I don't think a random sigh is going to work. I think it needs to be him. I think his, uh, I think it's going to have a little bit too much vocalization to kind of get away with a generic sigh. Can I manufacture a sigh? And so I listened <laughs> and found a couple of places where he was breathing in a way. I was like, you know, that sounds like the start of a sigh, and then later on, that oh, sounds like the end of a sigh, and I, I managed to put them together. <laughs> into a sigh from roger i was like i i create i i I, i'm powerful (laughs) so i have to go listen to that now because i don't i I think i remember seeing y'all talk about that but i don't i don't remember clocking it so i have to go find it yeah i'm not even sure which episode was in but uh, i'll have to i'll have to look it up anyway so yeah that's that's enough for me but that's uh yeah the most difficult part was was just trying to make something out of nothing and then it's just trying to it's that lateral thought process yeah tying back to the wish we had more time part of the conversation (laughs) there were a bunch of places especially in the second half of the season where we were cutting things close enough that we would find out that an actor hadn't recorded something little like that, like a sigh or a laugh or something. And I would be scrambling back through scripts, trying to find a previous scene where I'd made them do it (laughs) in a previous episode. Trying to like crowdsource. It's like, okay, I I remember there was a scene where somebody was doing this and like, I can't remember what episode it is. And then like, just hoping that if I trigger your memory, you might be able to like, ah, yeah, anyway, but we, if you didn't (laughs) notice any, then we got there. (laughs) I mean, we totally, it was all perfect. Everybody was perfect. The actors were perfect. The production was perfect. Mm -hmm. Nothing was wrong ever. No panic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely no panic (laughs) happening ever. (laughs) Everything's fine here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Next question is from Becca, and this is specifically for Tina. (laughs) Tina, what was it like being one of the producers this season? Was there anything that you didn't expect about the role? I wanted to piggyback off the last question and just go, there was panic, lots of panic. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> no, um, it was, I, I want to say that, oh my God, it was so like, but I'm, I'm equal parts. It was not at all what I expected. And I've been doing this forever. What are you talking about? Like every time it comes up, I'm like, yeah, seasons three and four. And everybody's like season four. I'm like, yeah, seasons three and four. No season four. Really? And go look, check the date. I'm like, yeah, season four. What am I thinking? This cool. season it's has just, been it kind of all. <laughs> it all like blends together. Yeah. Um, and I, as far as I don't know, I don't didn't really have expectations other than like what we talked about because because what had happened was I didn't actually intend. I was just like, I'm gonna ask about that because it got posted like in the Discord and I, I think it was in like the production channel maybe. And it was like, hey, we're thinking of bringing on a co-producer just to kind of like help out and do little things and da da da. And I'm like, I can do that. I'm already working on the show. Maybe, maybe I can, maybe I can do that. And so I like, I sent a message and I thought it would be funny. I pulled it back up. Like, did your reply about what it would entail? Yeah. 
And so I, I was just curious to kind of like volley this to you guys to see if it's if it's what we ended up doing. <laughs> um, I was, you know, asked for information and it would probably be mostly helping to sort out scheduling, whether it's doodle polls or something else. Um, and then going into rehearsals, recording, following up with people to make sure that they show up and turn in lines. And it's going to be a big cast this time around. Yes, it was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and checking in with everyone will be a lot. And yes. It was. My apologies to everybody who had emails for me all the time. I felt I felt terrible. I'm like, I have to email them again. I know they know. And they know that I know that they know that I know, but I have to email them again. And I was just like, so <laughs> I'm, I'm typing it going, I'm sorry. I know. I know. Um, let's see. What, was there something else? Da, 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 just more details about like the scheduling and stuff like that. And that was about it. That's what got and maybe like helping with uh, signing contracts and organizing those and yeah. Do we think that's about how it went or did it kind of um, like what's well, your guys take on that? I think that was the biggest part. And I think mm -hmm. that was the biggest part that we saw like needing help with when Cass and I talked about it mm -hmm. because um, like I did most of that stuff in season three and then sort of like gave the harder star gave hard stuff or stuff that I needed help with to Cass mm -hmm. and Cass was doing more like social media stuff. But um, I was like, I can't schedule things anymore. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it was just that I saw, like, I saw the writing, because this was before we knew that Cass was going to be doing sound design, too. Yeah. But I saw the writing becoming so overwhelming for the final season that I just couldn't, like, handle all of that stuff, too. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was the biggest idea from the beginning, was that you would, like, help with a bunch of that stuff. And mm -hmm. you definitely did. <laughs> I feel like I expected to be... And it's going to sound awful. Expected to be more the equivalent of, I'm going on a coffee run. Do y'all need anything? And it ended up being not that, like in a good way. But the fact that there would be so much, not free reign, but, oh, yeah, you're you're a producer, too. You can say that. Like, there's stuff yeah. would come up in the Fable and Folly, like, Discord. And I'm like, can I answer that? I don't think I can answer that. I, I yeah, know. you can. Yeah, yeah. And, and both of you guys are just like, uh. In fact, please yeah, do. <laughs> do. Do the thing. It's fine. And. The, the I guess the hard part about it um, was talking to people that and I, I don't even want to say in my head because they are like these are people that are crazy talented. They've done so much work, whether it's in the podcast space or other spaces and like not talking down to them, but like talking as like I'm a person in this authority and I need you yeah. to do this by this date. I was like, this is not going to go well. This is like, <laughs> how is this going to... And everybody was really nice and really sweet and all of that stuff. And nobody was just like... I expected to be like, I'm sorry, who are you and why are you talking to me like this? Which people would never do because, I, I mean, they're even if they're not super, super nice, they're very professional and, you know, nobody's going to be like, shoot themselves in the foot or, you know, do you know what where they eat. But, like, it just... <laughs> I did not... Ex I didn't know how to approach that. And, like, running rehearsals and things like that, I'm like... I immediately have regrets, but I got used to it. And it, I, when I first started, I was like, um, okay, I guess you can start and we're, we're just going to read through it and it's fine. And then like, by the end of, I'm not going to say like I was an expert at running rehearsals, but I definitely felt competent and coherent. It was just like, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And yeah, I was just like, I'm going to be doing things and not talking to people. And that is not how it panned out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was something that um, I split. I wound up having splitting off more this season to both of you than I had really expected to, which was sort of like directing some of your own scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm 
And I'm just interested in like whether or not you hated me for that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do as much of that. Of, you both sort of became <laughs> assistant directors as well as producer co-producers. Um, the next couple of questions are specifically like voice actor questions. And so I'm going to stay out of them and throw them to the both of you, because I think that both of you are more actors than I am these days. So the first one is from Christy and it says, is this type of work challenging because you're recording your lines alone and don't have the other actors in front of you to play off of? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. that's half, half of the fun of acting is is playing with somebody else and that's why the rehearsal process was so great to like i mean especially me i'm i am the luckiest man in the world i got to play against friggin cat blackard i was gonna say <laughs> yes well and that was just like oh my god talk about bringing 612 percent of the energy to everything <laughs> and like I could not, I kind of couldn't step to that. I was really glad that it was really more about Maria. So we kind of got through most of Michelle's stuff um, on his own. So then all the stuff with Maria was kind of figuring her out. I was like, oh, good. It's all right if I'm not like, you know, kind of the standout actor in this scene because I can't step to this. (laughs) Uh, I like, oh, man, I why I got into voice acting is because I didn't have to act with people. I could do it by myself. (laughs) Nobody would hear me mess up. And yeah, like, oh my god, I, I keep. And you going still back. spend a lot of this season. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was thankful for that, but like, um, uh, the the, with blah blah blah, words are really hard. I get paid to do this for a living, guys. <laughs> not for a living. That's really funny. That's a joke. Um, when the Michelle finds Wilder, like we actually yeah. recorded some of that together, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad we did because it would have been not the same at all. Like I very, how much did you use of the like the other takes versus what we did together? I think I used. I think f- for yours, I think I used more stuff of of the one that we recorded together. I think for mine, I used like I used bits and pieces of both. Um, I'm not sure if it was more one or the other. Yeah, it's just it's so funny because like I'm in the same camp of you guys now. I'm like, oh my god, it's so much better when you have people to play off of. That mm-hmm. I'm just I I would have died had you asked me like during season two like to practice and record with people and i'm no no like i don't do that yeah but first sitting down with deej to talk about the character and they're like okay so let's hear it and i'm like i'm sorry what (laughs) i'm sorry no i here's yeah yeah, uh, you you need to read the thing and i i i just i just i wish i had recorded it because (laughs) it was so bad i just sat there i just sat there for the longest time before i actually read the thing and oh it was not great (laughs) Uh Like, I bet they've got some buyer's remorse right now, but that's okay. It worked out. <laughs> it did work out. Um, and it's interesting st- sort of spinning that off a little bit um, to you, Cass, because for most of your stuff, especially later in the season, you were technically playing off other actors. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you were recording while you did the mix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There was definitely, it was kind of because I, I just had so much sound design to do and there would be, like, if there's an episode that Michelle isn't in and that episode is coming out, like, way before the one where, where I, I needed to record my lines, I'm like, well, I know where I live. I can come after myself. Uh, so yeah. I'm just going to work <laughs> work on what needs to come out first. And so, my you know, that's how my brain was just like, no, you have to do this. So then I would be sitting there with literally everybody's lines pulled into the episode and I'm like, all right, I'm literally just starting up a Reaper track and recording into this. And so I've listened to, you know, the other, the other actors kind of playing their, their parts in the scene. 
And I'm like, all right, well, I've got that. I know how where they're coming from. Here, here's me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I will sort of add to that too that um, I would have loved to record with everyone, but it was just scheduling was so hard. Uh-huh. And I mean, scheduling is hard at the best of times. Like, I mean, scheduling was hard when I did theater. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not. It's never easy. But with the number of actors that we had and the number of actors we had in some of these scenes, like you'd have scenes where sometimes there were like 13 or 14 separate people in them. It was impossible to get them all into one session. So we just never even tried. Mm -hmm. The um, other sort of acting related question we had is the last one on our list from Peter XYZ. I'm going to keep hitting that. Thanks, Peter. Um, Asking, what are your red flags or green lights for considering roles in audio fiction? Oh jeez. Yeah. Let's uh like what huh? makes you even want to audition for something? I guess because I mean I think I think all of us are still in the position where if someone offers us a role we're going to take <laughs> it. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um, like what makes you decide whether or not you're even going to audition for a role? If it's somebody I know or a story that I know, um like yeah, for sure. But oh god, I don't know. I feel like hmm. Some of the like some of the stuff that I've seen has had like here and there, you'll see something that has no audition lines and they're like, just say what you think would fit <laughs> or it's like, well, this is an, and an, okay. I'm going to preface this by saying I have no issues doing unpaid roles, especially if it's audio drama and it's, Oh yeah, for sure. Know, we all pass the same $20 around, but if yeah. it's like, this is an unpaid role, but if they word it a certain way, like, well, I'm just, da, 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 so I can't pay any of you guys, but he, it's going to, but they make it sound like it's going to be this huge project and they have all <laughs> this criteria. Like you have to have fancy gear and, you know, just all of this stuff. And I'm like, you just said you don't have the money to pay everybody, but yet you're saying that you want somebody to have thousands of dollars in qualifications like, eh. or if it's, you can tell sometimes by looking at the sides that it's going to be like not inclusive or like there's been some that I've read and I'm like, I understand that you have to write villains and bad people a certain way, but just kind of ick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to, th- I don't know that I have that many more like neg- green lights are usually it's like people that I know, or that looks fun or I've never played a part like that. Or like when you read something, you're like, Oh my God, I don't have to actually force it. It <laughs> flows really nicely. This sounds yeah. like something that I would actually say, or like you look at whoever's making it and you go, I, I want to work with them. Can mm-hmm. I work with them? I, I'm going to try. That's fair. Yeah. I think, yeah. Red flags for me are, are, um, um, you know, if, if I don't get the sense, if you don't have a line in there saying we, we are happy to have people from all, you know, all different gender, uh, identities and, mm-hmm. you know, especially as a trans dude whose voice is not, um, is not, has not been lowered by testosterone. It is a higher voice. Uh, I like how it sounds and that's how I sound and people like me exist. And, um, if, if you don't have a line about, um, about people, you know, if you don't create a space for me by kind of just putting a little, a little something in your, um, in, in your kind of, you know, how to audition for this page, then I'm not Mm going to bother auditioning for you. I'm not going to give you my time or energy. Um, yeah, Yeah, that's fair. But, uh, as for green lights, yeah, it's just, just cool, interesting, meaty stuff that is given to somebody who isn't just, 
uh, a cool, you know, a, a cool white dude voice. <laughs> it's like, what's yeah. we all love the we all love the cool white dude voice, but also, can we have maybe <laughs> different conceptions of what an evil character or what a um, a funny character or what you know what those stereotypes that we all love to play in? But like, th- let let me be it, please. Thank you. Yeah. Obviously, your green lights are. If I wrote it, so. <laughs> Yeah, if, if you're like, ca- that one. Cass, record this, and I want you to do it in your Ilio voice, and I'll be like, all right. <laughs> Our next question is our last AMC question of the, of the list, because we're getting towards <laughs> the, the end here. Thanks, AMC. And, yes. And it says, what is your favorite poem of the entire series and why? And I'm throwing this to everyone, so. I'm going to go first, because I'm easy. You can't ask me my favorite of anything, because I genuinely am bad at judging that. Like, I think they're all very pretty, and I'm not well-versed in poetry. So I've just been like, oh my god, that's nice. Oh my god, that's so nice. What? That's so cool. That sounds so pretty. And that's as far as it goes. (laughs) Cass, did you have anything for us? There's so many good ones. I really love the one from episode 12. Um, The the one by Faiz, uh, Prison Evening. Oh yeah. Oh man, that's really good. There's something about, uh, you know, uh, uh, the 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 you know the the thoughts that keep consoling you, like you know, tyrants may command that lamps be smashed, but you know that they cannot like they cannot turn out snuff out the moon. Like I'm like ah, oh, that's just such a it's such a simple but kind of poignant thought like you know uh, it was just exactly perfect for this show so i I just loved that one and i loved how how lehman did it how he really kind of as you really wanted it to be made that into a moment of kind of roger buying his own hype where he had spent a little (laughs) bit of time earlier in the episode trying to kind of explain why the revolution was happening to the acs um and then he's sort of like by the end of that poem he's kind of bought in uh and i thought that was really cool and that great use of that poem and what a great friggin poem I know that's fair. And I tried, um, I spent a lot of time, um, like, I mean, in earlier seasons, I would be like, oh, let me look for an interesting poem that mentions the moon or something like that. (laughs) But I spent a lot of time reading poetry and looking for appropriate pieces that were specifically poetry of revolution this season. We had that. We have um, somewhere there's a um, a Darwish poem in there that I really like too. Um, So those were really important. My, if I had to go with my favorite poem of the series, it's sort of a tie. Um, I'm going to first go with the um, De Morais poem that I said that Roger and Alex used at their wedding, which, and we mentioned, bring, read a couple of times the Sonnet on Fidelity, just because, like, hearing them read it together at the end of the show, just like break, just like I just melted. (laughs) Like I wrote the damn, well, I didn't write the poem, but I wrote the scene. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that. And there's the, and then, and then there's the fact that like my favorite part of the show and possibly my favorite performance is still season one, episode 20. And it's just Roger, just like, just completely losing it by himself and just going through lines from rhyme of the ancient Mariner. And that has been like, just, one of my favorite pieces of poetry my entire life and just getting to use it and how appropriate it felt to where he was and what he was going through and just how well Lehman read the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Like I just can't, I can't not love that scene as well. 
me see. We're getting down to the last. We have the, like three questions left. Ooh. We have a couple of Becca questions in a row here. The next yeah. first one is any head cannons that you have about the characters that weren't relevant to the show. Mm. I, have a few I feel like I should, but you they too. Yeah, I want you two to window. have something first. <laughs> I have some for the next one, but I'm trying to think if I have any about characters that were not. Yeah, just anything that you sort of assumed that wasn't like yeah. technically from the show that you just sort of like thought. Well, I think. Do you have any, Cass? <laughs> oh, goodness. I w- I've been trying to think about this one. It's funny because I, I have a similar approach to to performing a character as you do to writing them, Deej, where it's just sort of like, I'm going to play with all of the available uh, kind of, you know, feelings that that I know mm-hmm. are there, but I don't. I don't need to kind of, you know, write a huge, um, a huge story. Uh, like, you know, I don't, I don't need to sit around and write my character's backstory. Like I'm just going to pull those feelings from my feelings. Um, and so I, I really don't have, um, have any like big head cannons, like about Michelle, for instance, I'm trying to think if there's any, we're going to get to Michelle. That's the next question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Like any of the characters, yeah, I I don't know. I I it I, it it all just kind of feels like it's in there. I'll I'll try to think about it while somebody else talks. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll go through my f- few things. I have like three or four listed here. Um that and I tried not to pick things that are actually in there because there's a bunch of stuff that I like reference once or twice or like really like vaguely talk about this act that is still actually in there. But one of the big things to me is that I think on top of all the other ways that Roger was sort of messed up with PTSD and stuff like that, that I think that he's fairly agoraphobic. Mm. And some of that came from um, the just the little reference in the cast and poll, like mini episode <laughs> where they're calling him inside dad. Mm-hmm. I just like this idea that Roger just doesn't like going outside at all. Mm-hmm. And like in and there's there's mentioned like a few times in the show too about him not wanting to go up to the surface. And so I just kind of like the this idea that Roger is bothered by big open spaces. So, he so that stay. was that one. Um this doesn't enter into anything anywhere, but I had the idea in my head that Medic Pacey is like um a novelist on the side and just like sits there in um in medbay or whatever, whatever I called it, it's not medbay, but um, sits there in the infirmary and just like writes all the time in, in your spare time. Um, I like the idea that um, I mentioned once and never really talk about it much again that Nessa is a true crime buff. And so I liked the idea that, and if I had had more time to play with her, boy, oh, boy, I wonder why I didn't have more time to explore her character. Somebody oh. did something to her. I don't know. <laughs> but I like the idea that she was like sort of an amateur sleuth too, that she was like one of those people, like, like there are people now online who like get in like true crime forums and stuff and like track down like details and documents or like do research for like years to try to like catch serial killers and stuff like that. And I like to think that Nessa sort of did that in, in her spare time. I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, the last one that I wrote down is, and this isn't something I've decided about. It's just something I always had a question about is Weeble. Um, uh-huh. Whether or not Weeble is like a completely automatic robot, like the reception bot was, or whether or not Weeble has a little bit of AI in them. Hmm. Because we sort of like gave them more personality. 
<laughs> and so I kind of like thinking about that too, like whether or not Weeble actually like had any idea what was going on. <laughs> I like the idea. Okay, well, this will be my my answer for this and the next question. Then I like the idea that Weeble does have a, like some nascent um, AI ness, and therefore would realize that that they were created to to like put people out of work, but would join the workers in in, in their union. <laughs> yes, I love that so much. That is fair. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I have any generic like head cannons about every I feel like I need to re-listen to the show now that we're not working on it mm. and see what pops up. Just because like I did and I listened to all of season one. I yeah, I had my misguided moon theory. I thought I knew what was going on and I was very, 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 very wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um I, yeah, I need to just listen to it not stressed, I think. And not <laughs> trying to do all the things and just listen <laughs> just to listen, not to critique or hear how something turned out or Yada yada yada. So you know, in a couple months, hit me up and I'll have head cannons. And I, it's Becca. I can message her one hundred percent. She'll be happy about it. I'm sure. Be like, yeah, let's talk I, about it. I will before we move on to the next question, um, which is sort of tied to this. But I will mention someone else's head cannon that was kind of important to the show, which was Jen Pontins. Mm. When we um, created all the baby ACs. <laughs> um, Jen decided that the baby ACs had learned their like voices and sort of slash personalities by like examining communications from people on base data. So there is a specific baby AC that sounds very much like Wilder who spent a of lot course. of time reviewing <laughs> Wilder. I love and one is sort of and one is sort of based more on um Ashwini, and I think one is more sort of based on Roger. But yeah, that was sort of like how she gave them individual personalities while still voicing them all. Yeah, it, it, she did the heavy lifting on the the ACs, and all I had to do was just find what sounded kind of good for just a slightly. I wanted something that sounded like a downgrade from Tum from Tumnus one point oh, um, yeah, because that's kind of where they are in their development. Um, and uh, and so I found like a way of doing just a little bit of a pitch shift, and I did a slightly different, like a slight shift pitch up for, um, I think it was who was the first one? Uh, Epsi was the first one, I, think. I believe so. Yeah. And then uh, for um, uh, whichever one was uh, the Ashwini voice, it was a slight pitch shift down, and then for um, uh, is it was it Beatty? Beatty was uh, Beatty is the one that was uh, that was wilder. Yeah, and for that one, I, I included I think a little bit of an up and a down so that it sounds just a little bit more weird, uh, which I thought worked <laughs> fairly well. I think I used that same one for um uh, for Gammy uh, <laughs> in the end because I because it it was such a different voice. Um, like because it was a little, real different actor. Well, yeah, because the same. Yeah, yeah, because Gammy is actually a different voice actor. Yeah, exactly. So I could get away <laughs> with the same effect. Um, and have it, you know. But I, th- I thought, yeah, that's and it was, it was fun to like finally apply that effect to Gammy and be like, yeah, there she is. <laughs> yeah. Although Robin and I spent like a decent amount of time looking at that too mm-hmm. when, um, when they were building the voice for Gammy. Yeah. And making making that switch so that you immediately know. Like that something has changed. Yeah, even if I hadn't done anything, yeah, it would have you would have still read. But it, just to add that little bit in was just like, yeah, oh, we're we're switching gears now. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the question that sort of followed up on this from Becca, the last thing we have from Becca, Cass and Tina. Similarly, any head cannons about your characters that weren't in the script? 
yeah, Weeble is my character. And that was my answer. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Becca, for all the questions. Um, I, I don't have many. I have two. And one of them, I, mm, I'm i a little... We've established that, like, if you listen to the show, Wilder is not the best with things that she can't perceive. Like, there's some friction as she doesn't quite understand Jackson and, you know, their behaviors and stuff like that. But I, I swear, like, that girl undiagnosed autism my liners i can't talk i think undiagnosed like she's got the special interest and i'm like she's some sort of neurodivergent but i can't quite pinpoint exactly what i think but there's she's got so many like things all over the place i don't feel like she would understand it very well and probably is not ever going to go get it checked out because she's just like oh i'm just weird that's how i am (laughs) and i I think that she early on, I, I don't know why I latched onto this. I, I don't think Wilder, I, I don't think that she's religious, but I think at some point, because everybody talks about like mythology and things like that. And you learn about all the things. I think she likes Hephaestus because she's like the tinkering with stuff and fixing yeah. things and yada, yada, yada. So while I don't think that she actually believes in that or really any religion she definitely like has a thing for Hephaestus and how people like will swear at things and jokingly like oh my god really I think she might jokingly like set a cup of coffee out or something and be like if you help me fix this I swear something ridiculous and so very very casually like I don't believe in it but also like maybe just don't drink that cup of coffee I left over there because everything is working today and if you drink it then it might piss him off and my thing might break so Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that (laughs) Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I'm, for for Michelle, I guess that there was um there there was an idea I had before I kind of knew exactly what his like you know full life had looked like up until now. That something that might have interested him would be like learning how to cook, um maybe and even working in kitchens. Um, so I I I don't know in my head canon I don't think he wants to stay on the moon forever, and I can see a world in which he. Like he he and Maria are finally like, all right, you know what, we're done with this uh, with this oh, yeah. bowl, and we're going to Earth. Um, and I think I think he would like to learn to work with like because he loves olfactory, um, yeah, and loves food. Uh, but you don't get a lot of interesting food on the moon. Well, it's probably better now, honestly, than it was <laughs> when it was all on soy <laughs> yeah. went all the way down. Um, so I'll well, see. Yeah. And then Maria had worked in a bakery, so they could like sort of you know yeah. start something yeah. around down there. Yeah, yeah. So that could that you know that would be kind of kind of interesting, you know, La Langua, the Langua Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got one last question, and I saved this for the end because it's really sort of a like sweet and interesting um way to end Ooh. the discussion. So if, if I have questions, should I ask them first so we can end No, it's okay. Okay. Because yours is yours is was not on the, on the approved list. So we're right, going right, right. You know, to lecture you before we do that. But, but <laughs> no, but no, Christy gave us a really nice question here. It says, um, we all love MTO for highlighting a queer leftist perspective. And I think Tina's mentioned sharing the podcast with a broader base of friends and family members. For those of you who have shared the podcast in that way, did you encounter any pushback and, or did it stimulate political discussions? Okay, but I just think it's interesting, and you can sort of like expand that a little bit too, if you want, and just sort of be like, what reaction have you gotten from friends and family members about the show? From family members, mostly they're just like, "Oh, you're doing a thing." Like the problem is with family, it's hard to get them to actually like, you know, get get into yeah. anything, and like, you know, they'll try and then they'll be supportive, but I don't know if they like kind of really kind of get locked in on it. Um, 
but I haven't encountered anybody who I've told that it's, you know, that it's a very uh, queer focused podcast. Nobody's been like, how, oh, oh, that sounds horrible. Why would you, <laughs> you know, so that's all right. Um, I find because of the type of friends that I tend to have, like, I, it would be hard for me to promote something that I, that I didn't really f- fully believe in, but I fully believe in this. And also I fully believe that it's, it's something that, that a lot of people who are like me would kind of really enjoy. So it's easy for me to be like, Hey, do you have, do you want, have, do you want a, a sci-fi story? That's just like, just chock full of queers. Well, listen, <laughs> I got the podcast for you. I'm making finger gun type motions with my hands right now. You probably can hear it in my <laughs> voice. Um, yeah. but, uh, and I've, I've gotten some good, you know, cause pe- people I think appreciate that. It's like, Hey, you're clearly not trying to sell me something. You're just telling me this because, because you can see that I'm also hungry for a media that has people like me in it or, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I found it's, I get more people saying, Hey, I'm going to check that out. That sounds really cool because, because of that, because it's got the, that representation that you we're starting to see more, but it's just still not nearly where it needs to be. Enoch. Um, I, you were, after all, name-checked in the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I have actually shared... I was so afraid to at first. I didn't think anybody was going to like it. And there's, you know, the running meme of, like, your friends and family. They're not... They're going to be like, like, good job, but they're not going to listen to it. Strangers on the internet are going to listen to it and love it. <laughs> but um, I have lucked out, and there may be more that haven't told me, because I know some people are like, well, I don't want to tell you that I listen to your thing, because then it's going to be you make, it, make you feel self-conscious or whatever. But... I've had a decent chunk of like my really close like family friends or friends that are essentially family, not family friends. Y- y'all follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen to it. And most of them are finished with the show. Like they caught up with it. And I, a couple of them, like I told them just because I knew it would be like a selling point, but um, they, they've loved the show. They talk about it. One of my friends chose to tell me that she listened to it because I was being a smart aleck. And she just looks at me. And she goes, okay, Wilder. Like, oh, <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, but like, as far as I, the, the only thing that I've really done is I have had some people that I don't know, and then I just leave off the queer leftist aspects of it because I feel like it is such like a character piece that if even if that's not really their thing, if if it's not their thing, they're gonna stop listening. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that's just what it's gonna be. Yeah. But if they like the characters and they like the story. Like, I've watched things that I don't necessarily agree with, like, all of the politics or anything like that. But if I like the characters enough, I'll watch it. And so I just assume the same thing's going to happen. And if it's someone that I think will, like, react react just abhorrently, then I'm not going to be telling them about the show anyway. Um, And kind of piggybacking, the one thing I did get pushed back on, and not really pushed back, but more of a, oh, my God, why didn't you tell me? I I can't. I'm trying to re-listen, and I just can't do it, were the Dipsy ads. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I, yeah, I had a friend from high school that listened and she was messaging me and she was listening through like on her second time. Like she liked the show. She enjoyed the show. And she messaged me and I'm not going to pull up the exact message. So if you're listening and I butcher what you said, I do apologize. But she was just like, I'm trying to re-listen. And I just, I hear you and I hear you talking about all of this stuff. And I, all I can think of is, yeah, this is Tina talking about sexy times. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. It is a fictional character. I, I did that. <laughs> Woo, okay. <laughs> I don't so, think... I don't think any of those should be running by now, thank goodness. There's still one, apparently. Somebody was telling me that the other day, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I thought they were all gone, and I've been recommending this here and right and left. And so, theater friends, if any of y'all are listening and made it this far, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, but no, that's been the only thing that I have heard some sort of an, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? As opposed to, why didn't you tell me there were non-straight people? Or why didn't you, you know, so. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I, I kind of like Cass. Like, I just have people, the people that I would tell about it are going to be yeah. at least okay or indifferent at best, at worst. So mm-hmm. I just don't have anybody that I would recommend that would hate it, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. And I mean, like, I'm not that close to my family for a bunch of reasons and so most of them my my one sister has listened to some of it and that's cool but mostly it's been my friends and like it's more me like begging and begging and begging until they listen to it mm-hmm. but there have been a few people who have particularly like as we got closer to the end of the show have come back and said some really nice things about it i got a message from um someone a week or two ago that was really more of a friend of a friend we were only sort of like associated more through mm-hmm. common people than anything else who wrote me a really nice message about how much the show had meant to them and how much Jackson in particular had meant to them. Mm. And it's just was really a lovely thing. And I've had people like come back and tell them how, tell me how much the show has meant to them as far as that, as far as like the queer representation, as far as the revolutionary aspect of it and some like more um, talking about um the political stuff and particularly the final season as well and how much that meant to them because it's stuff that no one else is really i mean the queer stuff there are a lot of queer podcasts but i think particularly the way that we dealt with revolution is something that hasn't been in a lot of other shows yet so Mm. so yeah those were all of the written questions um i know that tina has a few unregistered questions to ask (laughs) and we'll try to Else does too. There's something, some ghost typed in something in the spreadsheet. Yeah. I have one other thing that I just thought of, but <laughs> but I'm going to wait until you do yours because okay. I think I'm going to answer these pretty quickly. Yeah, you probably can. And the answer is going to be nothing. Okay. So in episode one, it's mentioned because Roger is talking about all of the things that they have and the food rations. And he says, okay, blah, 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 X number of people and what, five are vegan or something like that? Three. Vegan, I think that's wrong now. Is it? I How think I, I think it was four. I think it was four of the six. It was, if uh-huh. I it was because it was something. It was, was it three? Okay. We're fighting okay, over well, the drumsticks. Okay, well, three I can live with. Yeah, if I was only five yeah, of us yeah, fighting yeah. over the drumsticks, and three are vegan. Three I can live who, with. Who are who are the three? Because I think it was probably Wilder, Nessa, and Ashwini. But I don't think okay. Ashwini really is. I think Ashwini just sort of like says Z is whatever. No. Z at the time. <laughs> I I know some people like that. <laughs> okay. Michelle definitely um, not. Now, was no, that, not was Michelle that and not Roger. <laughs> was that? Off well, we know not Roger right? because Roger, Roger, and Alex talk about like the barbecues and stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, I kept trying to like eyeball it as we're like going through the episodes and stuff, and then I'm like, well, we are on the moon. How far into the future? So literally, like, it you know, food technology could have gone so far that you know we could explain away almost anything. Be like, did I say turkey? It was you know, made turkey, like printed turkey. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the thing too is that. I sort of got away with it a little bit in my head because I decided, and I know that this is a, decision, a discussion that's only starting to become like a bigger part of vegan discourse now, but like I assumed that like the meat they're using is mostly cultured meat, mm-hmm. which I know that there are like vegans who are okay with that and vegans yeah. who definitely aren't. So I think oh, that that's yeah. probably something that's a bigger thing by that point too. Yeah, it's 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 a debate that I have opinions on that I try to stay out of. Um I like that that might be a thing that exists. I feel like it's like the beyond and the impossible, like the stuff that tastes yeah. like hyper realistic, like maybe not for me and not great, but like it's marketed towards people who eat meat anyway. So like yeah. mm-hmm. kudos, like 
they're going to eat meat anyway, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, debates are and, always not fun. Mm-hmm. And the other one, and the other. And your other question? Gonna, you're not going to answer it, but okay. So, Wilder. I am going to answer it. Okay, what is her full legal name? Wilder. That's it. That's it. By choice or by Wilder? Yep, yep. Wilder. Wilder was always intended to only have one name. Jackson. Was that too. Her choice, though, or was it what her family decided? Like, or um, the Madonna thing. I think it. I think in her case, it was probably her choice. Okay. I think for Jackson, it was probably more of a like family thing, like maybe it was a tradition or something. But I think okay. with Wilder, um, I've always assumed Wilder didn't have the best childhood because, okay. like, all of her relationship issues. <laughs> with <their partners. laughs> I think yeah. that like some of that has to have started a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now, but I'm yeah, I think like... Wilder's just <laughs> Wilder's is probably by choice. Okay, so headcanon-ish, was Wilder one of her original, like, part of her birth name, or did she just say, screw it all, I'm going to go with this as a name, and we're just going to throw the whole thing in the trash? Let's assume, without without trying to come up with a, like, really embarrassing, like, original <laughs> name on the spot, but no, let's yeah, assume, don't. let's assume that she made it all up, made it up completely. That would track, actually, like, I could see that, I and it just being, good. like, having nothing to do with her actual name name. Somebody so I had one final question for the two of you that sort of like came into my head while I was listening to you both answering that last question that Christy asked. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask both both of you, and I'm really curious about the answer because I find myself oddly not knowing. But I wanted to ask, what do you think each of you is going to take with you from this huge roller coaster ride experience we've been on on the show? Uh, mine is easy. Literally everything. Like this was the first thing that I did, really, to this aspect. Like first real acting and like learning how, like learning how to do it. Like, I mean, I've I've taken classes and like and stuff now and actually like tried to be proactive and go out and learn. But everything else has just been learning like as I went. So like, literally like any sort of like ability that I have, confidence, talking to people, this whole thing. Like that it's a, it's a cop out answer, but like. I'm 100% not the same person personally or like talent and ability wise as I was when I started working on the show. And it would not be that way. Other, So like literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I guess uh, just to, to give a different type of answer, I'll, I'll answer more on the, like, uh, what will I take from the story side, which is um, I think there's, some things that I'm really going to actually take with me about how to think about um, making the world a better place uh, and how to think about, you know, what you do when you feel like there's nothing you can do in the system that you're in. And, um, and just, um, you know, just some, some stuff about how it's important to communicate to one another and kind of uh, to be open with one another and to work on things. And maybe you're not going to get it right the first time. And maybe you're going to have to work on it again and again, like Wilder's uh, 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 and Michelle's uh, friendship kind of coming out of, you know, (laughs) all that, all that horrible stuff that, that was him self destructing in a lot of ways uh, and taking other people down with him. And how do you fix that? And the, the answer is like, you know, when he's saying like, I, I, I've said, I'm sorry. I've you know, never stopped saying I'm sorry, but has he really said I'm sorry? Or 
you know, is, is that enough? And what else do you have to do? And like, you know, it's not something you can just, you can just fix. Um, so yeah. I think a lot of that, uh, hit home and, uh, was important to me. I love that. Yeah, I only thought it was there if I was going to ask um, yeah. both a question like that that I answered as well. And I don't want to talk about, like, I don't feel like the technical aspects of production, even though this was a new space for me, are next necessarily that much different from theater, that it was a huge new experience for me or something that I feel like changed my life as far as that goes the writing certainly too like was new for me writing something this long for five years i basically was constantly writing or plotting this show um but i'm not really like necessarily that's again just sort of like a different aspect of things that i had done before in theater but i think what i will take with me that i got completely from this experience is the depth of connection with people and the depth of collaboration because it's so different from writing a play and being maybe in a few rehearsals, not really spending much time with the actors otherwise, or even directing a play where you're like usually working with a script that was completely written and polished and you're done with it in a few weeks. I've never done a play that really ran longer than a few weeks. So it might be something similar to like a really long running um theatrical production too but just the idea of spending this much time with people and getting to share with them and getting their input into the story and the way that they change it both of you probably more than anything i mean Cass, you and i were like sort of vague friends before this mm -hmm. who had never really spent much time together um tina obviously i didn't know you at all no. <laughs> until this happened <laughs> and now we talk practically daily about like yeah. one thing or another and i'm going to be working at least with tina on the next thing hopefully i'll sucker cast and at some point <laughs> in some way involved in it <laughs> but just everyone else too like even people who just like came in for a little bit or were involved in a little bit i got to work with so many people who i just couldn't have imagined working with i got to work with sarah werner who's like the was like literally the first voice i heard in audio fiction mm. i got to work with toe i've gotten to work with like and I mean, it got the, it got me back to connecting with Lehman too, because Lehman had moved away from Toronto, and we had sort of like fallen out of connecting with, um, after after we weren't doing theater together anymore. But I knew he was going to be the perfect voice for this, and just getting to work with him was such a gift. And just everyone who entered into it and became part of it and threw so much of themselves into it, every actor in every role, getting to work with, again, Serena on this final season, crafting the storyline for the Palestine stuff, and like getting to work with um, some somewhat so closely to it, to it, discovering, becoming close friends with Jen Ponton, who is probably one of my best friends in the universe now, and we didn't really know each other before this. Um, bringing people into it, like Shireen Yunus, um, who Shireen, I listened to on her podcast, Ethically Ambiguous, and I just liked her so much and liked her like point of view on things so much that I wrote a role for her and then begged her to do it. Um, just, just the connections with people. I just couldn't have imagined it would be like this. And the connections with the audience, too. Like... Again, like I've done theater and I've had good experiences with audiences and there's something about like actually being live there back behind this curtains, listening to them react that yeah. is amazing. But just having this 
wide a reach and seeing people like making comments, random comments on like Twitter or Tumblr or somewhere like having no idea who they are, knowing that they'll never know who I am, mm -hmm. but we managed to touch them and we managed to do something that was important to them. Whatever else I create from here, I think part of the reason why I did this and part of the reason why I wanted to move into this space was because I felt like producing a play, you do it for a few weeks and it's gone. But this is something we created that no matter what happens from here, it's going to be out there and people are going to be able to find it and people are going to be able to connect with it again. And that's something I couldn't have imagined how important that was going to be to me. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's so awesome. And I mean, that sort of takes us to some of the um, like post questions part of this, which I have a couple of little like announcement things to make too. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to start out by just saying and if you folks have stuff you want to throw in here too, but just saying thank you to everyone who's listening to this right now, everyone who's listened to the show, who's been a part of it, whether you found it at the beginning or you just found it, whether like you think it's okay or you love it and you write like head cannons and like notebooks and you have a spreadsheet full of questions for it. <laughs> um, just any of you, just thank you so much for being a part of this, for sharing it, for telling other people about it for like following us everywhere for supporting us on patreon or our crowdfunding accounts of crowdfunding campaigns just every way that like we've connected with you as well just thank you so much for being a part of this <sighs> i don't know if either of you wanted to add anything to this no, I, I feel like you covered it really yeah that's, that's good honestly try, okay. you know. so we did have what a couple of yeah we had a couple of quick things to um jump to at the very end um so yeah, Moonbase is over, but we are not done producing audio fiction. We are already into pre-production and casting a few roles, and I am trying desperately to write, despite the world being on fire, um, for our next show, which is called Waiting for October. And you're going to be starting to see more about that on our social media accounts, and eventually when we have something to share, whether it be a teaser or an announcement of crowdfunding and things like that, you'll still be able to find it in this, find information about it in this feed, because I'm sure we'll share it here. Um, Tina is one of the leads in the new show. The other is Robin Regalado, who played Anung on Moonbase, and you've just heard in a really amazing bonus episode. So they are going to be the leads in it. It is a sort of paranormal fantasy um, type thing about a monster world and about the act of writing fiction in general. So it's going to be interesting and exciting and it's a new journey that we're all getting ready for. And you're definitely going to hear other voices that you recognize in that. So <laughs> stick around and get ready for that. You'll probably start hearing things um, first quarter of next year, we're hoping to do crowdfunding in like March or so. So keep an ear out for that. And the other thing, the I promised a big announcement at the end of the Q and A, and I do kind of have one. What? I said you mean that wasn't the big announcement. That is a big announcement, and that's really important. Yes. But all this time i have been telling you this is the end of moonbase and technically that's not completely true what what uh. 
because I wanted to, for all the support we've been given over this five years, and because there's going to be a significant gap before we can really like start sharing stuff about the new show, um, I wanted to find a way to keep giving people little pieces, maybe filling in a few gaps and a few backstories um, for Moonbase. And so to all of our Patreon supporters, every month of 2024, I am going to post a... I'm calling it microfiction, a short, short story set in the Moonbase world. So it'll be, so I'm thinking like a page or two, but it's going to be like maybe expanding on the backstory of a character or telling you a little something about a character we never got around to. Maybe some of these headcanons we talked about earlier. Um, I actually have um, Becca, who is one of our biggest fans, in addition to ans- asking a lot of questions about this, helping me sort of compile a list of interesting things that we could talk about. Mm. And, yeah, so the idea is that just to partially say thank you to the people who have supported us through all of this and partially to sort of, like, keep everyone's interest, I guess, while we can't say much about the new show yet, we are going to be publishing little pieces of written fiction on our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash monkeymanproductions. You can join us for any amount, literally any amount. We don't care. Um, everyone gets every bonus, every perk that we provide to our Patreon backers goes to everyone, no matter what they donate. So you can fall, you can support us for a dollar a month and you get everything, get early access to every episode we release of anything, get every like behind the scenes, like report and peek at what's going on. As we start getting into the new show, they'll, they're finding out a lot of stuff before anyone else does. And you're going to get these little pieces of microfiction every month. So that is our big post moon base announcement that you're still going to be able to find out more things about those characters. I'm excited. Little bit of Moonbase still waiting. <laughs> uh, I have a question for you, Deej. Okay. It's how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It's just that open ended. I feel like I feel like the people want to know how dare you. <laughs> I have been asked that question so many times. <laughs> What's the answer? answer <laughs> what is the answer? I don't know. No one stopped you yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the big thing, isn't it? No one stopped me. This is a this is an area of like media where there aren't enough bars to entry at this point, I guess. I mean, that's true. <laughs> but no, it has been an absolute delight, not just um working with the two of you and having this conversation, but <laughs> being involved in this whole show and everything that came from it. So just sort of ending again with thank you so much. And I hope you'll stick around for whatever we create next. Thanks everybody. And I yeah. hope Cass will be there. Uh, I'll, I'll try. Cause, cause Cass is the one that hasn't signed on for anything for the new show yet. <laughs> Tina is definitely in it, but Cass is Cass like has refused to like, answer me every time that I've asked about anything that happens after the end of Moonbase. Yeah, I yeah, know. Every time it's like, ha ha ha. And then I just like the, the sunglasses come <laughs> down and like the finger guns come out and suddenly I'm just like backing up in and running away. He's just he sort of like fades into the shrubbery like Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> like the day before he'll be like, you know what? I will I'm do in. this yeah. and that's all. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think I just need to not commit to anything for a little while so I can figure out what, uh, what reserves I have to commit. <laughs> yeah, do that because I don't do that and I regret it. So you do that. Okay. I'll, see, no, I'll tell you how it I'm, works. <laughs> and I'm really just teasing you, but you know that anything I create, you have a, 
you can write your own ticket pretty much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, thank you. This has been fantastic. Take care and, you know, keep watching the moon. You never know what might happen up there. I was about to be like, you have to say it. I did. (laughs) They did. We're we're clear. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you you later, everybody. Yay. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Now playing from Voyage Media. A naked woman picked up the recently decapitated head of a goat that had been sitting in a large silver-colored bowl. She held the goat's head high above hers, its dull black eyes staring emptily as she threw her black hair and allowed the blood to trickle down the front of her body. When the lights go down, What stories really stick with you? Presenting Fever Dreams, an anthology of dark genre stories, horror, crime, sci-fi. My eyes settled on a crystal piece, the only thing hanging on any of the walls. A man's face, set inside a raging sun. The eyes started to glow. Now playing from Voyage Media. In association with Seven Lamb Productions, creators of the hit audio drama Tower 4. A new descent into darkness in every episode. Season 1 of Fever Dreams, a pulp collection. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts.